Let's all turn in our Bibles to the, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5 this morning, but our, our meditation in the sermon is only going to be on verse 4. But I think it's important that we, we see the, the, the whole section here uh, that verse 4 comes in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we think of the significance of, of this passage and this verse in particular. And I know for myself, as I've been charged with expositing this text, it's overwhelming. The gravity, the magnificence, the vastness of the statement, in him was life. It is overwhelming. And so we plead with you, O Spirit of God, that you will fill me with your spirit, that I may be able to uh, express your truth to all of us. And we pray for each one of us, O God, that you'll expand our hearts to understand your truth, that we might know you, our God, a little bit better. We ask that you'll do this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. What do you need? I saw some of you like, sit down, Pastor. It's going to take a while, right? <laughs> I got a long list that we can go through. But as we answer that question, what do you need? There's certain things that come to our mind. Uh, you know, one of the, the first things might be oxygen, right? Helpful, helpful. I need oxygen. I need to be able to breathe in order to continue to live. Some might go a, a, a slightly different direction. I need food and water, right? Some of us are convinced that we need food all the time. Um, we have friends, we have a cookbook, and it's entitled, I Think About Food All the Time. That's the cookbook. I thought, I, 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 I feel that one. That makes a lot of sense. Food and water, we think about that, and, and that's uh, a part of what we feel like we need. Some of us, maybe right about now, kind of need a nap. That would be nice, right? So I'll try to keep it down just a little bit, you know, and if, if that's what you need, then that's... But you notice when we, when we think about the question, what do I need, our attention almost always goes toward our physical life, right? That's what our focus is, is on the physical life. And I think about my physical life, and what I need is what I need in my physical life. What I need is what I need now, or in the very near future, or at least until such a time as I die. And then I don't think about my needs anymore, do I? My idea of my needs are, for the most part, focused here. As I do sometimes, I'm going to take that idea and I want to set it right here and we'll, we'll come back and talk about it in a minute. But now I want to talk about something slightly different for just a moment, and that is faith. Um, I use the uh, definition of faith that uh, faith is living consistent with what you perceive to be true. Faith is to live consistent with what you perceive to be true. Now, that has several different layers. Uh, one layer is, I can perceive something to be true and live consistent with it, and I'm still in faith, but, but what I perceive to be true is not. Right? 
And so I find myself not succeeding in this life because my perception of what is true is incorrect. So the first thing I have to do is I have to be certain that my perceptions are accurate. But faith is not perceiving what is true accurately. Faith is living consistent with that. It's when I begin to put that into practice. This is what the... uh, uh, Right? Jesus' brother James meant when he said, faith without works is dead. He's telling us that faith is something that occurs in the will. It's, it's the choices that we make. It's the life that we live. That's where faith resides. And to understand this about, about faith, and I, I want to take that idea, and I've been thinking a lot about this in the, in the last uh, week in particular, but it's, it's always been in the back of my mind. It's hard for us to live according to philosophies, Right? It's easy for us to espouse these things are true, but it's it's hard to make decisions based on those things. We have a tendency to make decisions based on the expediency of the moment or or the need in in the instant, and that's what tends to guide us. Not that that we're totally inconsistent all over the place, but but we don't always live according to that that grand philosophy that, that we might espouse, like the gospel right? We're going to all say, do I believe the gospel? And I think I could even in a group of Presbyterians get a a, a roaring amen, right? Maybe less than roaring, but I can still get an amen. That's good. And, and, And it doesn't mean you don't believe the gospel. It's just we don't tend to say that, pastor. Um, we might sing it, but anyway, um, but we do believe the gospel. I had uh, some friends I was talking to recently, they were talking about their, their ministry, and they're just reminding people of the gospel. I said, so what is the gospel? And it was kind of quiet. Well, um, and it became just kind of like all the Bible. I said, no. The gospel is Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That's what the apostle Paul said the gospel is. That's the gospel. By the way, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, if you want to write that down for where he says that. That's the gospel. Now, we believe that. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. Again, amen? Amen. amen. I believe that. And yet, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't live consistent with it. Sometimes an individual will come to me and correct me, and I kind of know that they're right and I'm wrong but I fight with it, right? And I justify myself, and I talk about how, no, 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 I'm right. No, I didn't do that wrong. No, I did this, and and, and all of that. And at that moment, I'm not living consistent with the truth that Jesus died for my sins, right? Sometimes I don't live as an individual who's forgiven. Sometimes I sin, and I just beat myself up about it, right? I just, I just hammer myself about what a horrible person I am, and I'm, just, and I'm just down on myself, and it's just, well, I'm not living consistent with the fact, but Jesus died for it, and I'm forgiven. And if I'm forgiven, do I need to keep beating myself up? Does that help him forgive me? Goodness, no. Maybe it helps me feel forgiven, but I don't have to pay part of it. He paid it all. Now, I believe that, but sometimes... I don't. Sometimes I don't live in faith. Now I want to take these two ideas that I've set out in front of you and I want to bring them together. And I want us to begin to realize life is more than time on this earth, right? 
I didn't push it for a third amen in one service. <laughs> we'll give lip service to that at a funeral, right? Life is more than on this earth. But when I'm walking through this life, I'm not as always as ready to go to that place. I heard a pastor say one of the things he likes to do is he's standing alone with a uh, soon-to-be-married young man, the groom, at the wedding. And they'll get together and they'll pray and he'll lean over and he'll say, you know, it's a really cool thought. Jesus could come back right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most of them aren't nearly as excited as the pastor is at that thought, right? Right? The reality is, that's what, that's, that's how we live all the time. Especially when things are going great, it's like, yeah, Jesus, you can come back tomorrow, right? Come back when things are rotten, right? Not, not right now. Because we don't always have that, we don't always believe that there's more to this life than this life. That life is more than what I experience here. But that, that proposition, life is more than time on this earth, is true truth, as Francis Schaeffer would call it. True truth. This is foundational stuff. This is what you can live your whole life on. We've begun a study of the attributes of God, and we're going to do, it's a short series that we're doing just for the rest of this month. Um, then next month we start into Advent, and then next year we're going to begin to uh, look at intimacy with God, particularly from John chapters 13 through 17 in the um, upper room discourse and Jesus' time of the high priestly prayer. To look at that and, and to just see this intimate time that, that Jesus had with his disciples. But right now, I want us to take a few weeks and just meditate on who God is. To look at his attributes. We started out by looking at the simplicity of God, and that is to say that God is one. And we are a composite, we are physical and spiritual beings. God is not, he's a spiritual being. He is, he is one, he's not... Uh, infinite and eternal and, and unchangeable and his being wisdom power and all these different parts. No, no, no. He's a singular whole as a being. He is simple. He's not complex. And so we, we considered that together. Then the, the following week we looked at the fact that he is a trinity, that he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not three gods, but one God in three persons. And the persons are equal in power and glory and the same in substance. And we understood that and we began to consider that. And the last time I preached, which feels like, like a year ago, wasn't it? Um, we, we considered together that he is holy and understanding what it means that he is completely different, completely other, and what effect that has on us. And this morning, I want us to be meditating on the idea that he is life. Not that he has life, or that he is living, but that he is life indeed. So that we might live our lives believing in every instance that I need the God who is life. Let's consider this together. The first idea from this is that life is only in God. Verse 4 says, in him was life. I want to notice the word was, and uh, now is the time for our uh, Greek lesson, as we try to have those from time to time, mostly because it's interesting to me, and, and uh, so you, you bear with me. Thank you. Uh, to do that, to understand that, that the word was is in the imperfect, in the imperfect tense. And, and I'm going to go through three different tenses so that we understand what this means uh, in the Greek language. We have to 
when you're doing translation, you have to do more than just find words that are kind of the same. You have to understand the way of thinking. And to the Greek mind, they didn't think the way that we do. We think temporally, right? We think yesterday or tomorrow. We think past tense or present tense or future tense. To the Greek mind, it had more to do with the action. And so most of the verbs revolve around whether it's a completed action or a continuing action. Okay, which is why the Greek language probably has the most developed uh, use of uh, participles of any language uh, ever. And so, because the, the, the participle is, is kind of a, a noun in motion, if you will, a noun in action, and so they do that a lot. So the most common form in, in the uh, Greek New Testament is the perfect. And in the perfect tense, it's a, it's a present continuous action. A present continuous action, usually translated as present tense. Okay, for obvious reason. If it's present and continuous, then it's right now, right? But to the Greek mind, what was important was that the action was ongoing. The second most common is probably the aorist. And the aorist tense speaks of a completed action. And it's usually translated in the past, that it's been done, it's, it's finished. Um, but but the, again, remember the Greek mind is thinking, no, the issue isn't that it was in the past. The issue is that it's completed. It's a finished action. The third, and there, there are others, but the third that I want us to consider is the imperfect. And the imperfect is a continuous action that does take place in the past. And that's the form that this word was is found. It's a continuous action in the past where the main uh, verb is being used, which we have to go back to verse 1 to find out what that main verb was. In the beginning, was, oh by the way, that's imperfect too. So at the moment that the beginning began, at the moment that it was the beginning, at the beginning of the beginning, the beginning part, you know, where it all really began, even at that moment, already, Jesus was the Word. At that moment, in the beginning, already, life was in Christ. When it all began, life was already in Him. And that's the idea that the author is trying to get across to us, that in the beginning, life existed in Christ. So that life's existence depends on Christ giving it existence. Did you follow that? The idea is not that there was this thing called life that was independent and that it happened to be inside of Jesus, somehow giving Him life. No, 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 no. In his own existence, he was giving life existence. It was the power of God, which is the force which is beginning this whole thing. And it was always dangerous when I get a little bit philosophical because it's like I could. They're like, yeah, it sounds really ridiculous, Pastor. But, but if, you'll, if you'll follow with me, uh, there's a commentator, Vincent, I like for obvious reasons. Um, and he puts it this way. He says, he, that is Christ, was the fountain of life, physical, moral, and eternal, its principle and source. Christ is the source of life. Life doesn't give to him. He gives life its existence. To begin to, to understand that about our God so that he doesn't have life, he is life. And the beauty of that reality and the power of that reality. So let's consider together what is life. And I want to consider, first of all, from a, a philosophical perspective, 
um, which I, I was surprised, and maybe you'd be too. Why is the idea of defining life such a controversial topic? And I don't mean defining when, when human life begins. I mean defining life. And it, and it goes over. Some, some people have argued back and forth, and they said, well, if I use this definition of life, it, it means, well, a virus is alive, but a mule is not. The, the whole issue of reproduction and, and all of that. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, you got something there, but I think you missed a little bit on the, the reproduction. But, but as, they, as they begin to discuss the idea of life and trying to understand what life is, it becomes a, a controversial topic. We, we, people have a hard time understanding that which should be one of the most basic, obvious things around, isn't it? You can kind of look at stuff and see a rock isn't, but a tree is. And a dog really is, right? You get it. You're able to see it. That helped me to begin to understand something about evolutionary thought. I think that a part of the idea of evolutionary thought is a recognition of life, right? We see life in an amoeba, and we see life in a human, and we see it all between, and we want to find what is that unifying factor. And a theory that is brought up is, well, what if, what if it's just kind of this, this growing idea and this advancing of this, this life that happens to be present here, and then it just kind of gets more complex until it becomes a, a human? And, and I'm looking at that and going, well, I can, I can see how you'd come to that that conclusion, and, and you, could, you could guess that, and, and that seems to make sense. Now, there are other options that, that I think that sometimes we have, such as that what if, what if instead of that, that it's the evolution of this life which began there, what if all of it is the fingerprint of God, who is life itself, and he's placed that fingerprint upon his creation, and of course it has to reveal that about himself, that he is life itself. And that all of creation, every bit of it, from the amoeba to the human and everything between, screams to us, God is life. And it's a reminder to us of that reality. Biblically speaking, I'm going to take us through a bunch of passages. You are welcome to look at the screen or turn in your Bible or flip your phone did any of you find the same as me? I am way faster with this than I am with my phone and the Bible. Anybody else? Yeah, it just, it just, it, 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 it works. I guess that uh, analog model still works, right? So we're going to look at a bunch of different passages to try to understand what the Bible is telling us about life. Let's start out in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, and some of them we'll, we'll, we'll park for a little while and, and just talk about and think about, and others we'll just read and it'll be obvious. So, Chapter 2, verse 7, and you've heard me expound this on numerous occasions. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Here we see the beginning of human life, that God is, has brought man into existence. And if you, if you just picture him taking all of the dust and gathering it together, and, 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 and there's the man, but he's empty. The story's been told about uh, scientists who had figured out how to, how to make man, and, and uh, they said, we know how to do it, and we can do it. And they call up God, and they say, God, we, we want to go to a, a man-making contest with you. He says, oh, that's fine. And they say, okay, so here we go. And he says, all right. So God gathers up his dust, and so they gather up some of his dust. And he says, no, 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 you get your own dust. Well put. 
God made the dust, and then he gathers up man. And then man is there, and what does God do? Man isn't a living being yet. He's just dust. But this empty dust, God places his face against and breathes from his own being, his own life force, into the man. And the man's eyes open, and he's now a living being. Life came into man because of the breath of God. Man's life is inseparably connected to God. It's brought to him there. And then in, later on in, uh, I think we're going to continue, in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. He did not say, there's a good possibility that you'll eventually die. Right? He specifically said that in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Now, is God known for truth? I don't know, Pastor, you're going to preach on that in a few weeks. We'll find out then. <laughs> of course we know. God is truth. God made this statement, right? And what did man do? He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And what happened? He died. Chapter 3. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise... She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So wait a minute, they ate of it, and it sounds like they're still alive, doesn't it? Until we read verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Death had occurred. Do you remember where life happened? Where was God's face when, when the life happened? Right there. And now, they're moving away from the face of God. They're turning their back upon God. They're moving away from the presence of God. Their spiritual death has come upon them. And they have this separation from God, which has transpired. And we see the same idea in Matthew chapter 27 with the Lord Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 46 about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. So we see the death of Christ, that, that his father turned his face away. And there was Jesus and he died in that moment. Now, we can, there's a whole lot we can talk about as far as the profundity of that reality and what all transpired. But here we understand the reality that life is found in a connection with God. The Gospel of John, the, our, the women's Bible studies are going through this, and um, life is a theme in the Gospel of John. Life is there all the time. We read in the verse we're looking at today, in him was life and the life was the light of men, chapter 1, verse 4. But then in chapter 20, verse 31, he tells us that 
But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The whole point of the Gospel of John is that we may have life in his name. And John is constantly teaching us about life. And he talks about it consistently throughout this book. In chapter 4, verse 14, as Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will come, become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you this, this, this water that will become life for you. In chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus again or we, we read again, Truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Then he turns to his disciples and he gives them the warning later in that chapter in verse 39. And he says, you search the scripture. He says to uh, uh, all of the Jews around him, he says, you search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You see what Jesus is telling them is that life is found only in him. He's the only one who has it. He's the only one who gives it, that it is found in a complete con or close connection with him. As Martha is mourning the loss of her brother, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Jesus in the upper room talking to the disciples, in particular to Thomas, I believe. He says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus claims to be in himself life. Not to have life, not to just be the giver of life, but to be life itself, and that he is essential if anyone would have eternal life, which is a relationship with the Father. And then in the high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus prays these magnificent words, giving us a definition of what life is. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Sometimes we don't believe that, right? Or I should say, sometimes we don't live consistent with that truth. That life is only in God. To become so aware of it that I realize, what do you need? Oh, I need God. More than I need oxygen. More than I need food or water. One friend told me one of the challenges we have is that we, we read the scripture like it's medicine. We pray like it's medicine. We take him in anytime we're feeling sick. Jesus used them as food and water and air. And for us to have that mindset in my relationship with God that I need him like I more than I need air. That what do I need? Only Jesus. I wish I could sing. It was a great song. Only Jesus. So I need to draw close to him. You see, every person has life as a gift from God. And eternal life is experienced through faith. And life involves a connection to God. How do I connect to him? I believe that he's given us three primary tools to help us with that. 
the archaic uh, phrase is the means of grace. We'll call it the tools for getting closer to God. And the first of those tools is the Scripture, the Word of God. The Word of God reveals to us God, and it's in the Word of God that we hear His voice. We need to hear from the God who is life. And so we, we listen as He speaks to us. There's also prayer. I define prayer as communication with God in order to gain His heart. And I add the in order to, primarily because it gives me a purpose. If it's just communicating with God, I'm not sure that it's completely always prayer. But as soon as I do it for the purpose of gaining his heart, and that's purposefully ambiguous, I can gain his heart in a couple different ways, right? I can gain his heart by convincing him that what I want is right. And if I can convince God that it's right, I win, right? I think in the New Testament, someone said Jesus only lost one argument, that that was with a Syrophoenician woman who said, well, uh, even the dogs get crumbs off of the table. And Jesus like, all right, there you go. She won his heart. She gained his heart. Most of the time I gain his heart by praying so much and communicating to where suddenly I want what he wants, not what I want. And it completely changes me. But that's prayer. And you see how that begins to, to, to build me, to draw me closer to him in the sacraments. The sacraments are uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are two ways in which we experience grace. But you know what's interesting about those is those are experienced in his church. His church, which is his body. Those are experienced when I'm in communion with him through his body. And I'm able to utilize Scripture, prayer, and the sacraments to draw closer to Him. But you know what? They're also not magical. Just because I eat the bread today doesn't mean I automatically get the benefits of the body of Christ, right? It's only fruitful through faith. As I believe the gospel, it feeds my soul. And I'm able to draw closer to Christ. So the first idea that we're working on in this, in this, I need God who is life, is I need to know that life is only in God. And secondly, I need to believe. He goes on in verse 4, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life is light. Life in us is light. Consider Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. This passage, verse 19 to 20, in particular to show us two ways that God reveals himself to man. The first way is through life, for God made it known to them. God puts inside every one of us a knowledge of himself. Every person is born with some understanding that there is a God. Inside us, God put it there. The second is through general revelation. We see him evidenced all around us, all the time. We recognize this to be true. Uh, the uh, church father, Augustine, 
put it this way, as far as the first one, that God puts that knowledge of him inside us. He wrote in his confessions, as he begins the confession, <coughs> he says, You move us to delight in praising you, for you formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Some have talked about the God-shaped vacuum inside every heart. Beautiful way of putting it. A recognition that God has put that inside us and a knowledge of Him exists. But you know, light only works if we open our eyes and believe it's working, right? If the light is there and i got my eyes closed... It doesn't do anything for me. The same is true with the light, the light of life. It doesn't help until I believe. Until I open up the eyes of my heart and I believe that this is truth. That is when it becomes beneficial to me to believe. Let's believe. Let's believe, knowing that the light reveals reality. Have you ever awakened in a dark room and you're completely disoriented? Uh, for me, the most common would be a motel, right? I'm not used to it. Although, during when I had COVID a few weeks ago, um, I was banished. I mean, I, I, I slept in another room <laughs> for the protection of my bride. And I remember waking up in our spare room and I just... I, I sat there for probably three, four minutes, absolutely uncertain. And I knew I was in the spare room, but there was a little bit of light, but it wasn't where it ought to be. And just so disoriented, what is going on? I needed light. My phone helped. Just a little bit of light. And oh, oh, okay, now I'm all oriented. Everything's good. Now I can go back to sleep. I don't know why I needed to be oriented properly to go to sleep, but that, that was the case. And so we, we've all experienced that. Have you ever seen a strange shadow? And it's a little frightening. What is that? Oh, it's a monster! Uh, oh, no, actually, it's a rocking chair. But okay. <laughs> but, but, but our minds go to these crazy places as we're looking at these shadows because, because the light is what reveals what is true. The light reveals to us reality. It's what light does. The life, life, was the light of men. As we had awareness of ourself and of others, as we were aware of a connection with God, it is then that we could see reality. Read a little bit from uh, O. Palmer Robertson. He tells a, just a really cute short story about an atheistic fish. He says, Are you an atheist? Do you believe it difficult to convince yourself of the reality of God? If so, you're like a fish who doesn't believe in the ocean. The atheistic fish breaks the surface of the water. He shakes himself free of every last drop of brine. He bolt, <coughs> excuse me, boldly proclaims, I don't believe in the ocean. Then he flops back in the water, catches his breath, and starts the atheistic exercise all over again. Amen? I, I'll never forget the time I was talking with a man walking through the churchyard. Excuse me. And I talked about God. Surprise, surprise. And he says, how do you know God exists? And I said, and he looked, he said, okay, you got me there. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you need, right? 
That settles it. We, we live in this ocean of the existence of God. Of course He's there. Our life, our life, life inside us reveals God's existence. And faith responds to reality. What does life reveal to us? Life reveals to us that God exists. Okay? There's no question. Life reveals to us that God made us. We couldn't make ourselves. Life reveals to us also that we sin against God. Some have said that the doctrine of total depravity is the only doctrine that is empirically provable. Amen? <laughs> we demonstrate it all the time. We show, yes, total depravity is a reality. Man is sinful, there's no question. All of this is what is revealed to us. There is a God, He made us, and we have sinned against Him. And then the Gospel speaks into that with light beyond the light of life. And it says, Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. That's what the light reveals. Faith responds to that reality. Faith responds. And I challenge you, respond to that truth. Turn to Jesus even now and say, Father, will you please forgive me because of your Son? Will you accept me, forgiving my sins, not because I deserve it, not just because you're super nice, but because Jesus paid the price? And will you accept me as your own? Now, if you've believed this for years, you need to continue to live that out and to live in accordance with that. You don't need to be afraid when you fail. That's a given in life, right? Yeah, I'm going to sin. And I'm going to confess that sin and I'm going to move on and I'm not going to be controlled by it any longer. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19 tells us, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. From that, what I want us to see is, if this life is all there is, and we're hoping in Christ, we miss the point, right? The point of Christ is, it's more than this, folks. This isn't the end. We have seen a, a, a number of our, our family pass away uh, recently and uh, near family members. And, uh, and, I, and I keep reminding people that, and, and, and that more may come, right? But is that the end? Do we live just in sadness? Or are we jealous the next Sunday? Because this is all we got. But they got the Lord Jesus face to face. They win. Not that I'm encouraging a race. But I am encouraging us to live for that, knowing that that's true truth. I want to live, and I want to live beyond here and now. Amen? That's two and a half. Therefore, I need the God who is life. 
knowing that life is only in God. And because of that, I will believe. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us to live out the truth that we hold to. That in you, Lord Jesus, is life. And that life is the light of men. Help us as a congregation to live every moment needing you. In Jesus' name, amen.